Fourth and two, McCaffrey's oh. going to pass, and wide open Martinez. How about it? Roll the dice and cash in, Panthers. Riverboat Ron rolling the dice last night, and fortunately for the Panthers, that's about as good as it would get in a Monday night football loss that came at the hands of the New Orleans Saints, 12-9. Tanner Hoops with you on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. The sports pen lives here. We have a special guest. Join us on headset in just a few moments. That is Gary Stoken, the president of the Peach Bowl. He will be talking about how the University of Michigan and Florida football players will be spending their week in Atlanta, as we prepare for bowl week, college football bowl season is underway. Gary Stoken, that interview will be underway shortly. You can hear that right here on ESPN-UP. Once again, glad that you're with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Patriot basketball this evening will be live from Gladstone as the girls look for a 5-0 and start heading into Christmas break. Pre-game will begin at 7 o'clock with tip-off set for 7.15 right here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Play to get into today, let's touch up on the NFL. 15 weeks in the books, two weeks left until the postseason. Here's a look at the playoff picture as we head into the final stretch of the season. In the AFC, if the season ended today, Kansas City would get the number one seed by virtue of the tiebreaker over L.A., and Houston would get the other first round by as the second seed. You would have New England as a three, hosting Baltimore the six. Then you have Pittsburgh as the four seed, welcoming the L.A. Chargers in a rematch of a Sunday night football matchup from just a couple of weeks ago. Over in the NFC, it would be New Orleans and the L.A. Rams getting the top two seeds. New Orleans still the number one. In the 3-6 matchup, it would be Minnesota at Chicago. Those two teams are going to meet in the final week of the regular season. The other wildcard matchup in the NFC would be number four Dallas hosting number five Seattle. That's how it would look if the NFL season ended today. Hard to believe. The Chiefs and the Chargers are both 11-3, and and one of them is going to be dropped all the way down to the five seed. Two best records in the AFC, tied for second best in all the NFL, and one of them is going to be the five seed. Going to have to win three road games in order to make it to the Super Bowl. So here are the teams that still have a shot. Over in the AFC, a lot more parity. You have Indianapolis at 8-6, Tennessee at 8-6, Miami at 7 and 7 and the Cleveland Browns are still in the mix at 6-7 and 1. Those teams still have a shot at getting into the AFC playoffs. Over in the NFC, you have three teams that are still mathematically alive, but realistically, realistically, there's only one team on the outside looking in that still has any hope of getting into the postseason. Mathematically on the outside looking in, You have Philadelphia, Washington, and Carolina as it stands right now. Carolina's on the brink of elimination. Realistically, their last shot went out the door last night with the 12-9 loss to New Orleans. Carolina's 6-8, still mathematically not eliminated. Realistically, though, they are. You have Washington at 7-7 still alive. There's still a path for the playoffs. But are they going to do it with Josh Johnson? Yeah, he had a comeback win against Jacksonville. 
the key word is Jacksonville. Then you've got the Eagles, and if there's anybody that could punch their ticket to the postseason that's not in the playoff picture right now, it would be them. It took them 15 weeks, but they finally decided to start looking like a Super Bowl champion team. The offensive line came back. Philadelphia is at 7-7. Seven and seven. They are half a game behind Minnesota for the sixth spot in the NFC. But if they're going to catch anybody, it would have to be Dallas. They're not going to catch Minnesota. Not anymore. They still have a shot to win the division over Dallas if they get some help. Eagles have to win out. Eagles have to hope for 9-7. and seven. They have to hope Dallas loses their final two games. Because Dallas beat Philadelphia twice. They have the virtue of the tiebreaker. So Dallas needs one win. And that's assuming the Redskins don't make some sort of push. We're not expecting them to, are we? The road is paved wide open for you, Cowboys. Wide open. No excuse not to get into the playoffs this year. Now, we're not expecting much from them in the playoffs, but they have a shot to get in. And that might just be enough of success for Jerry Jones to keep Jason Garrett, maybe even throw in an extension. Cowboys make the playoffs at probably 9-7, and seven, win a really bad NFC East. Everybody thinks Jerry's executive of the year for going out and getting Amari Cooper. When in reality, he has had very little to do with the Cowboys' success over the last few games. But that'll be enough to keep Jason Garrett around. And the Cowboys will stay fairly mediocre for the coming years. Just enough success to keep Jason Garrett in AT&T Stadium. All right, let's update some Super Bowl odds. Super Bowl odds, MVP favorite, all the works here in the sports pen on Tuesday afternoon. Super Bowl picks. If you would have asked me a month ago, I would have said Super Bowl Sunday will feature Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Now allow me to make a couple of professional adjustments. You can do that. You can do that. You analyze what's happening. Odds change all the time. They do that in Vegas. They adjust the odds based on what they see. That's what I'm going to do with my Super Bowl picks. Tom Brady and the Patriots are 9-5. and five, And neither of those two final games are going to be gimmies. I know they're playing the Jets and the Bills, but they could very well have a stumble here down the stretch. Tom Brady doesn't look like the invincible Superman that we all come to know and hate, unless you're a Patriot fan. Tom Brady is finally starting to look mortal. Rob Gronkowski has been struggling this season, struggling with health, struggling with on-field performance. He is not the weapon he used to be. The New England Patriots, their dynasty isn't ending, but they're going to have to rebuild. Now, the Patriots are still one of the best teams in football. A 9-5 and season some teams would kill for that. That's a down year for the Patriots. That signals the end of the current version of their dynasty. And they've gone through lulls like this before. From the time Tom Brady came into the league to 2008, they had a really good stretch. That's where they really started becoming a dynasty. 2009, where they got bounced in the opening round of the playoffs, that was a down year for them. There are teams that would kill for that. That was a down year for the Patriots. But they didn't 
signal the collapse of their dynasty. They didn't hit the panic button. They rebuilt. They revamped their dynasty. That's what they did in 2009, and they've kept that version going to present day. But now they need to revamp the franchise again. And this revamp needs to be for the long term without Tom Brady. They don't want to go through this again in what, two to three more years? Tom Brady's not hitting throws that we know he can. He's not winning games like we know he can. He's not leading teams down the field for game-winning drives the way he has in his career. Can't tell me the way he's playing right now. He's got even two to three more seasons left in him in the NFL. The Patriots are so businesslike in what they do. They aren't fans in that front office. They will not make decisions based on emotion or player respect. But you can make the case the only time, the only time since Tom Brady has been in the NFL that they have made an emotional decision as a franchise was letting Jimmy Garoppolo go because they wanted Tom Brady to be their quarterback until he retired. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're really going to start Jimmy Garoppolo over Tom Brady? And no, you shouldn't start him over Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of the greatest of all time for a reason. But look where you are now. Tom has maybe got a season or two left in him. He's still a good quarterback, but he's starting to show his age. Jimmy Garoppolo is the long-term answer in San Francisco. He could have been in New England. But now you're at a point, you're at a crossroads for New England. You need to revamp the franchise for the next decade or so, like they've done twice since Tom Brady's been in the league. Except this time you need to do it without Tom Brady. And who are you going to do it with? Brian Hoyer? You let Jimmy Garoppolo go. He would have been the heir apparent to Tom Brady. They even let Jacoby Brissett go. Still an upgrade from Brian Hoyer. So the Patriots are going to be looking ahead to the next couple of draft classes to see who is their heir apparent at quarterback. Because you can make the case that the one emotional decision made by the Patriot front office during this long dynasty run that they've had was letting Jimmy Garoppolo go in favor of Tom Brady to get every last bit out of him they could. It's the twilight of his career, and you need to rebuild your team. You need to revamp your dynasty. This time, Tom Brady won't be the answer at quarterback long term. We got to go to a commercial quick. I didn't get as far with that as I wanted to, but we've got a very special guest join us next. Gary Stoken, president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. He's on to talk Florida and Michigan next on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Danner Hoops with you Tuesday afternoon. And we're joined by a very special guest, the president of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Gary Stoken. Kind enough to give us some time, join us on headset, talking about the matchup coming up between the University of Michigan and the University of Florida. Two very familiar opponents, Gary, have star-studded football programs and reputations. What does it mean for those two to square off in the city of Atlanta? Well, we're absolutely thrilled uh, to have the Big Ten versus the SEC. We haven't had a Big Ten team in 28 years. And to have number seven, Michigan, uh, 
the great brand they are, and also Florida, uh, two of the best brands, you know, in college football with 50 uh, conference championships, six Heisman Trophy winners, and 14 uh, national championships between them. So uh, you talk about two great brands, two great coaches. Uh, Dan Mullins has done a turnaround in his first year at Florida, and certainly Jim Harbaugh with, uh, you know, the four years he's had at Michigan have been truly successful. He's turned that program around. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a sold-out crowd uh, noon leading into the semifinal games in the uh, new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So, yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic uh, for the city of Atlanta and for college football. Gary, tell me about some of the activities that the players will be involved in leading up to the game. Well, we use a the theme, Live, Laugh, and Learn, and we look at our bowl as a reward for players. So uh, they'll live great, stay in you know, nice hotels, eat great food, travel first class, uh, get great gifts, um, you know, and play in first class facilities and be treated first class by our volunteers and our staff and the city of Atlanta. And then uh, we want them to laugh, so we have a competition every day of the, the week uh, called our Battle for Bowl Week and players will be competing each night for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl Battle for Bowl Week belt. It's like a 40-pound WWE belt mm. that you know different activities will take place, and the final will be our family feud in the College Football Hall of Fame. And then, you know, we also want them to to laugh. So they'll they'll compete and laugh, compete against each other, have a lot of fun with that, and all the events that make up the battle for Bull Week. And then, you know, certainly they're student athletes, so we want them to learn. So we actually give them a living history lesson with in Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. Martin Luther King actually spoke. We'll have uh, C.T. Vivian, uh, Congressman Lewis, and Andy Young. All three were uh, in the top eight of the people uh, with Dr. King in the Civil Rights March and movement. And so they actually talk about leadership. And uh, so the players are seated together in the pews at Ebenezer Baptist, which you typically don't want to see teams together at any activity. But this is such a meaningful uh, uh, evening. Of learning that uh, it's it's probably you know other than the bowl game I think it's the best thing we do, and then uh, we'll also take the kids to I call them kids the student athletes to the um, children's uh, uh, healthcare hospitals where kids that uh, didn't get out for Christmas and may never get out of that hospital get a chance to really enjoy the company of the players and laugh a little bit and uh, so it's it's a great week and then you know we top it off with playing in a sold-out atmosphere in the best stadium in the world. Yeah, a stadium that's going to be hosting the Super Bowl here in a few months. Tell me about Mercedes-Benz Stadium for those of us who've never had the chance to experience a beautiful place like that. Well, I'll give all the credit to Arthur Blank. He's really put his money where his mouth is. He's, you know, uh, built a stadium that is uh, fantastic for the players, uh, great seats for the fans and great amenities for the fans. And, um, you know, a halo board that isn't obtrusive, it adds to the experience, but it's not in your face. It's the biggest halo board in the world. Um, And uh, great sight lines and just a great atmosphere for college football that, uh, you know, as you said, we're going to host the Super Bowl February 3rd. We just hosted the uh, national championship game last year in college football, and we'll host the Final Four next year. Uh, No facility in the country has ever had those three uh, 
mega events back to back to back. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great place to play, and, and the fans and the players will really enjoy it. Gary Stoken is president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Gary, tell me about what it's like being part of the New Year's Six slate of bowl games. I know it's a prestigious honor, but what does that really mean from the inside business aspect of it? Well, it probably means more to us than, than you know, not, not to denigrate the other bowls, but, you know, we, we've come from so far. Um, when I came in in 1998 to be president and CEO, uh, our first game was Georgia-Virginia, and the local newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, wrote that Georgia was going to go to a third-tier bowl game. And so that's how we were perceived in our own city. And now to be mentioned in the same sentence with the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl, you know, uh, and be one of the New Year's Six is truly a credit to all our, our staff, our great volunteers, the fans in the city of Atlanta who supported 20 out of 22 sellouts, and uh, also to the corporate support we get. So um, it's, it's um, I think it's the only place to be in the bowl business right now uh, because you, you're getting a chance to host top ten teams like, you know, the number one defense in the country in, in Michigan and, and, you know, a power in the SEC in Florida. You're getting a chance to host the semifinal game every three years, so we'll host the semifinal next year of the CFP. And then we just signed an extension, a six-year extension contract with CFP uh, from 20 to 25, 26. So, We'll also be hosting semifinals in 22 and in 25. So, it's a, again, it's credit to the city. You know, we like to believe we're the capital of college football where we have the College Football Hall of Fame here. You know, the preeminent kickoff game to start the season, a New Year's Six game to end the season. Uh, we just hosted the national championship. So, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's truly, you know, the one, the one thing I, I will tell you that I miss, I was talking to Lehman Bennett, who's on our board, the former Falcon head coach. Uh, we both served on the committee. I served as a volunteer back in 1985 when I worked corporately for Adidas. Uh, we miss selecting the teams ourselves. Um, that's something that was always a lot of fun, competitive, etc. cetera. Uh, now the, the, the uh, CFP uh, selection committee selects our teams, and, and rightfully so. You know, they, they do a great job. They have a wonderful process to go through, and, you know, we've hosted uh, eight top ten teams out of the ten teams that we've hosted through the first five years. So we're getting quality teams, elite teams, and having elite matchups and games. When you found out you were getting a top ten matchup between Michigan and Florida, tell me what that was like finding out you were getting these two high-octane schools. Yeah, it's really an interesting story. I'll go back to 2014. Uh, we were the first game of the CFP. Um, and on that Saturday before Selection Sunday, I called Bill Hancock, and I said, Bill, you know, this is the first time anybody was going through this. I said, Bill, are you going to call us Saturday or Sunday morning before it's announced who we have? And he laughed, and he said, Gary, you will find out who you're hosting when the rest of America finds out. <laughs> uh, so tune in on TV, on ESPN, and, and that's literally how we found out. who We were just like the teams and the fans we're sitting there in our office just waiting to see what teams pop up that are going to play in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And we've done that every year since. We have a little party here at the office and uh, between our board and our staff and our volunteers. And, you know, it's kind of like Christmas. 
you know, you don't know what you're going to get, and you open your present, and you see you've got number seven Michigan against number ten Florida, and you know it's it's uh, exciting, and and then you get to work. There's, uh, you know, you're, you're really working all year long to to put the game on and do what you need to do, and then once the teams get announced, now it changes rapidly because we host. The, the schools come down with, you know, probably about 10 people to look at the hotels, look at the facilities, you know, map everything out where the meeting rooms are going to take place, practice times, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, uh, we go back on the campus to do a press conference. And uh, before you know it, you know, here we are a week out from the game and the team's coming here. So it's uh, it's a fun time of the year. December goes fast. And and you got to hopefully celebrate Christmas in the middle of that as well. So is this truly a year-long process after the conclusion of the December 29th game? You'll already be looking ahead to 2019? Yeah, to give you an example, our process, uh, I was just working on this yesterday uh, with my executive assistant. We, um, we've been doing this for 20 years, this is the 21st year. And what we do is we go back on campus uh, and we meet with everybody from the equipment manager to the president to the AD to the coach to the players, the assistants, and we talk about what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, you can't find out what type of job you're doing until you talk to your customers and your clients, and, and those are the teams. And so we do a download survey uh, about, you know, what we did good, we want to do better, what we did bad, we want to do good, and what we did ugly, we want to cut out. And so, you know, we'll, we'll meet with both teams uh, probably in late January, maybe early February, depending on the, the schools when they can accommodate us. And then we do surveys with the media that attend our game, our fans, our, our sponsors, uh, our volunteers, our staff. And uh, we take all that information with the team information we get, and we'll, we'll put together SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And we analyze all that, and then by mid-February, we're already planning the budget and planning the events for, you know, what will be the semifinal this year, December 28th uh, of next year. So, yeah, it's uh, – and then, you know, in between that, we've got a huge golf tournament we do with the coaches and, the, and uh, uh, their uh, alumni uh, that will be on December 29th this year at 11 o'clock on ESPNU. Uh, broadcast and then uh, you know obviously the kickoff game you know we'll be meeting in January with Duke and Alabama uh, doing our institutional guy meeting with them for the uh, August Labor Day weekend uh, kickoff Chick-fil-A kickoff game so yeah it's it's a you know a 10-month process that you get get out in advance of and you know with a semifinal obviously there's a lot more to do as well so that's kind of our planning process. Gary Stoken is president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, kind enough to join us on the sports pen this afternoon. Gary, this is Michigan's first appearance in the Peach Bowl. Tell me about your dealings with the school, the staff, and what have you. Well, Ward Manuel is just, you know, first-class guy. I've met Ward in the past going to Michigan games and, uh, you know, really think a lot of him and his wife. They're first-class people. He has a wonderful staff. Uh, you know, you can really tell a lot about the staff when you – you know, really have to put together an event, which we have to in conjunction with uh, Michigan and Florida staff. Uh, and they've been brilliant. Um, and then uh, Jim Harbaugh, really impressed with Jim. I, what I love about Jim is that he's, 
his passion, you know, I, I like to think I have a, a strong passion uh, and I love what I do. And that's one of the first attributes of uh, great leaders is you've got to have real passion about what you do because if you're not passionate about it, it's hard to instill it and inspire other people. Uh, and Jim does that, and you can tell it when you're around him. Um, he loves what he does, and he's passionate about what he does, and I, I love that about him. How about the uh, partnership that you have with Chick-fil-A and what their role has been in preparing for the Peach Bowl? Well, we've been blessed. Uh, Chick-fil-A is the second longest uh, bowl sponsorship in, in history, and uh, they are uh, truly a partner rather than a sponsor. We meet uh, every month. Our staff and their staff meet, and we talk about, okay, what can we do for you, and they reciprocally ask what they can do for us um we it's it's been kind of unique in that when we uh started with them in 1997 their territory basically outlined the acc and the sec region which is the two conferences that we had in our bowl game as a matchup and so we've kind of grown with them uh nationally and they've grown with us nationally so now they're obviously a national brand i just read this morning that they could uh, be the third biggest uh, quick service restaurant chain in the country uh, going into 2019. And uh, gosh, when they started with us, their national advertising dollars uh, were all spent sponsoring the uh, the old Peach Bowl. So uh, they've grown quite a bit, and, and uh, we couldn't be any more pleased. Uh, not only to have them as a partner, but they're great people serve a great product and, and and like i talked about they're as passionate as we are about what they do but they're also passionate about college football and and the raving fans that uh our college football fans are their demographic gary stoken once again the president ceo of the chick-fil-a peach bowl kind enough to give us some time on this tuesday afternoon gary again thanks so much for the time all the best to you as you get ready for december 29th have a merry christmas thanks again for being here well, Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners, and we hope to see you and all your listeners down here in Atlanta. Have a great time at the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And mm-hmm. thanks for having us, Tanner. More after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pan lives here on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, Big Skin Payday's back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only to Jibway Casino, Barriga, and Marquette. Here is your Sports Center update. Manchester United has parted ways with manager Jose Marino. The Phoenix Suns have let go of Austin Rivers less than 24 hours after trading for him. There are bullets that leave guns slower than that. And finally, we are just 100 days away from opening day of the 2019 MLB season. Christmas one week from today and 100 days until we open up a new season of Major League Baseball. Can't wait for it. Baseball, big trade last night as the Houston Astros acquire outfielder Michael Brantley from the Indians. That guy's a darn good player if he can stay healthy. He's got speed. He hits the ball well. Just couldn't stay healthy in Cleveland. That was his biggest problem. He goes over to Houston for a two-year, $32 million deal. Another move said to be taking place, the Cubs are signing infielder Daniel Descalzo, formerly of the Arizona Diamondbacks, to a two-year deal. So a lot happening in the Major League Baseball offseason. 
So let's go back to the NFL. Earlier I told you why New England is no longer my pick to win the AFC this year. They're just not the same version of themselves. They have problems winning on the road, a below 500 road record this season, and some of those losses have been to just bad teams. New England, if they have to play three games to get to the Super Bowl, they're not going to win all three, especially if one or two of them have to come on the road. They'll win a game in the postseason. But what if they don't? What if they suffer a wild card loss in this year's playoffs? Belichick's mind will explode. The dynasty's not ending. It's still not ending. But they're going to have to revamp. Patriots will continue to be one of the best organizations in all of sports, one of the most efficiently run and most successful. Dynasty is not going to end. It's just going to revamp. But that doesn't always equate to Super Bowl appearances. And I don't believe New England is going to make it this season. I wouldn't be surprised if they make the AFC Championship just because of who they are. But winning three games without that first round bye, I don't think they can do it. There's a team in the NFC I definitely think can win three games in the postseason that New England's already beat this year. And I'm going to touch on that here in a little bit. So who is my pick? Who is your pick, Tanner Hoops? Who is your pick to win the AFC as it stands right now? Well, a lot of that depends on who gets one of the top two seats. Obviously, the easiest path is playing two games instead of three to get to the Super Bowl. You get that first round bye. That's going to be more crucial in the AFC than it will in the NFC. Because I think there are more teams that can win three in a row to get to the Super Bowl in the NFC than there are in the AFC. And again, I'm going to touch on all this. But sticking in the AFC, if you look at a team based on completeness, strictly the most complete team in the AFC, it's the Chargers. The LA Chargers are the most complete team in the AFC. But that doesn't mean that they're going to make the Super Bowl. If they have to be the five seed and win three games, maybe all of them on the road to get there, I don't think they're going to do it. They've been awesome this season. They've been quietly awesome. But winning in the postseason is a different animal than winning the regular season. The Chargers haven't done a lot of that, and they don't have a lot of guys on their team who have done a lot of that. So if the Chargers can get one of those top two seeds, which is going to have to come by virtue of winning the division, then they have a shot at making the Super Bowl. I don't think there's a path for them as a wild card. If they only have to play two games and they get a host, one or both of them, I'm picking the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. If not, my pick is the Houston Texans, a team that started 0-3. If the Texans get a first-round bye, they are going to the Super Bowl. They are my pick to win the AFC. Chiefs' magic can only go for so long. In the last couple of weeks, teams have laid out a formula for how to beat them. Baltimore didn't do it a couple of weeks ago, but they showed teams out to. Ball control, time possession, dominate that, keep it away from Patrick Mahomes. That's how you beat him. You keep that Chiefs' offense off the field. They didn't get it done, but they played well enough to show teams that it can work, and that's what they did a couple of weeks ago. Chargers, they were able to knock off Kansas City last week. They found a formula to win, and I think teams are starting to recognize the holes in this Kansas City team. And I should say that I like Kansas City. 
I like Kansas City a lot. I hope that they do well. I'm not cheering against them. I just don't see it happening. Now with teams like Houston and teams like the LA Chargers in their path. Now how about the National Football Conference? Look over to the NFC. Who do we like over there? I still like Drew Brees and the Saints a lot. And I'd like to see it for Drew Brees. I'd like to see him get another Super Bowl. Thing is, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I'm not seeing it anymore. I used to think they were the most complete team in football. Their offense wasn't impressive last night. They went 12-9 over 6-8 Carolina team. They were 6-7 at the time. I like Drew Brees, but their offense didn't impress last night. Kamara, he struggled last night. They were double-teaming Michael Thomas. They took him away. I'm not so sure about the Saints anymore. Especially not with the rise of the Chicago Bears. If the Bears get one of the top two seeds, which still could very well happen, Chicago Bears would be my pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Bears and Chargers in the Super Bowl. That's something I never thought I would be saying in the next five or so years, let alone this season. But it could happen. Especially if they get the top two seeds in their respective conferences, that's who I'm picking. Right now, the Bears are a team nobody wants to play. Matt Nagy, if the season ended right now, he gets Coach of the Year. He deserves Coach of the Year. Why wouldn't he? Trubisky's ahead of schedule. He wasn't supposed to be this good for maybe another year. The Bears' defense is clicking on all cylinders. Nagy is a genius offensively. He's creative. Sean McVay wishes he had some of that creativity right now because Jared Goff has looked terrible the last couple of games. Sean McVay's got to get more creative with him. The Bears are proving that defense can still win in the NFL. And it isn't just a thing where they're spoiler from week to week. They are showing that they can bring it every single week. Monsters of the Midway are back. The Bears look like a team that could realistically play for a Super Bowl. Especially if they get one of those top two seeds. Now New Orleans, obviously if the road runs through the Superdome and they have the top seed... It's going to make them the favorite. And should that happen, I might tend to favor New Orleans. But I think Chicago's a more complete team. And if you make that road run through Chicago, I don't know who's going to stop them. I really don't. You think L.A. wants to go to Chicago and play? You think they want to do that again? L.A. needs to figure themselves out right now. The Rams are showing why they're not going to be a Super Bowl team. Because Jared Goff is coming back to reality. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show that there's a team in the NFC I would feel very comfortable with expecting them to win three games, maybe all of them on the road, and get to the Super Bowl. Call me crazy, but don't sleep on the Minnesota Vikings. If there's any team in the NFL that I would feel the most comfortable with being able to win three games to get to the Super Bowl it's the Vikings brand new offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski takes over the Vikings have the same amount of talent maybe even more so that they had from last year's team a team that went 13 and 3 NFC runner-ups but they had a different offensive coordinator a guy who clashed with Mike Zimmer and John Filippo. two different schemes Stefanski has been with the Vikings for longer than any other coach. He's the longest tenured 
coach on that staff. He was there with Brad Childress. He was there with Leslie Frazier. And now he's there with Mike Zimmer. And he wants to work with Zimmer. He's not fighting Zimmer. He's going to run the offense that complements what Zimmer wants to do on defense. And that's going to bring out the best in the Vikings. They put a 41 on a Dolphins team that was trending upwards. And the Vikings were coming off their debacle on Monday Night Football against Seattle. They put a 41 on them. Don't sleep on this Vikings team. The personnel is still there. But the offense was being held back because John DeFilippo clashed with Mike Zimmer. I would not be shocked if the Vikings do what the Packers did back in 2010 and they run the table as the sixth seed in the NFC and they represent the National Football Conference in the Super Bowl. Don't you dare sleep on the Minnesota Vikings. A couple of things I want to touch on before we go to break. Greg Williams and the NFL MVP. Now, if you're listening to this show, it means that you genuinely care about what I have to say. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you tuning in, each and every one of you. That doesn't mean you have to agree with me. If you remember yesterday, we had a segment on NFL Coach of the Year. A listener called in. He wanted to discuss Greg Williams. Greg Williams was not one of those I mentioned for Coach of the Year. And the caller mentioned that the Browns have won five times as many games this season as they had in each of the previous two years. I'll say this. Greg Williams has done a great job with Cleveland this season. What he's done to bring them back from the ashes, and they still have a chance at making the postseason, albeit a very slim chance. He's 4-2 and two since taking over as the interim head coach for Hugh Jackson. My problem with Greg Williams for Coach of the Year is he hasn't coached the full season. Football, it's a bigger deal than sports like basketball, hockey, or baseball. Smaller sample size, fewer games on the schedule. He hasn't coached the full season. A lot of the success has to be attributed to the job that Freddie Kitchens is doing as interim offensive coordinator and what he's gotten out of Baker Mayfield. Thirdly, I hated his play call the other night, Saturday night when they were going down the field trying to beat the Denver Broncos. They had a chance to kick a field goal, go up by four late in the game. It ended up working out for them, but I hated the play call. Kick the field goal, go up by four, make Case Keenum and an offense full of backups beat you by going down the field, force them to score a touchdown. Ended up working out for him, but I didn't like that call. But I'm not holding that against Greg Williams because if you hold one bad play call against a potential NFL Coach of the Year candidate, who would stand? Frank Reich would be out of the question after deciding to go for it against Houston. Ended up costing him that ball game. By the way, if they had tied that game, if Frank Reich punted the football on fourth and long late in overtime and punted the ball away, taking the tie, the Colts would be in the playoff picture right now. And yet Frank Reich could be a candidate for Coach of the Year. So I'm not going to hold one bad call against Greg Williams. Do I think he should be the full-time head coach of the Cleveland Browns? Very strong case be made that he should. But I don't think he will be. I don't think he will be. And that's not to say he doesn't deserve it. John Dorsey in his second year as general manager... You can't tell me that he didn't have a list of guys in mind for a potential head coach because Hugh Jackson wasn't going to be the long-term solution for Cleveland, and Dorsey had to know that when he took over the job. He had to have a short list already in mind of guys that he would like to have as his head coach. Same thing Minnesota Twins just did. Fire the reigning manager of the year, 
because a new front office in their second year wanted their own guy. That's what's going to happen to Greg Williams. Not to say he doesn't deserve to be the full-time head coach of Cleveland after what he's done this year. And I respect what he's done this year. And if he is the full-time head coach and he keeps doing this next season, he will be a serious candidate for coach of the year. But right now, I'm not putting him over someone like Matt Nagy or Sean McVay or Anthony Lynn. Because as bad as the Browns are, they're still professionals. And he's having success with professionals. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, I'm not trying to bash on any of the listeners. I appreciated the call. Always like getting in touch with the listeners. Always do. So I'm glad that the call came in. I just wanted to address that, why I didn't include Greg Williams for Coach of the Year in yesterday's show. Finally, NFL MVP before we go to break. Patrick Mahomes has got to be the favorite, doesn't he? No matter where the Chiefs finish, Patrick Mahomes has got to be the favorite. Phillip Rivers will be an outside candidate for it. Andrew Luck? His name's getting tossed around. I don't think he'll win it. I don't think he has a realistic shot. But his name's being tossed around. Aaron Donald has been tossed around for NFL MVP this season. It's not going to happen, nor should it, and here's why. Aaron Donald is an animal, absolute animal, one of the best players in football, but not the most valuable. That defensive line is ridiculously scary with Donald and Dominican Sue and Dante Fowler. But Donald is not the best defensive player in the NFC. Khalil Mack is. Aaron Donald is the best player on the 22nd ranked defense in the NFL. To me, that's not good enough to be the MVP. Let's break down why they call it the MVP. Most valuable player. The Rams have struggled the last two weeks, largely in part because Jared Goff struggles. That tells me that Jared Goff's success means more to the Rams than Aaron Donald's does. But you take Khalil Mack out of the Bears defense right now, and what are they? They're sure not the monsters of the midway anymore. Khalil Mack is more valuable to the Bears' defense. He is more valuable to Matt Nagy than Aaron Donald is to Sean McVay. Why is anyone talking about Khalil Mack for NFL MVP? We owe you our last time out. We'll take it now. College football when we come back. Talked about Florida a little bit on the show with Gary Stoken. They have a shot to play UCF in football in the near future. But what would be the benefit for the Gators? What's in it for them? That's next on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Legion lamplighters, over the backboard, and be careful of what you wish for. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. The easy part is now underway for the Eastern Thumb Area Legion Ice Hockey Team, a cooperative of seven small schools from Huron and Sanilac counties. The Legion is off to a 500 start in its first year, but it was getting to that first year that was the challenge. Coach Larry Camp jumped through all of the hoops with different school districts to get MHSAA approval for the co-op program, which helped keep a number of kids used to traveling even bigger distances outside of the Thumb region in the game. It's nice not to drive an hour and a half to practice anymore. <laughs> That's probably the best thing about it. You know, I get to talk to my teammates at school about practice and the games and stuff. Of course, the 
people in my school that don't play hockey get to the The hope for Jared Kuhn and others on this inaugural squad is to look back on what they started someday. Well, well, I hope it's something that these elementary kids can look up to and they're developing their hockey skills. I hope it's something that they look forward to when they become a freshman so they can join the high school hockey team. I really really want that kind of atmosphere. I want that to be people's goal to be on the league in hockey You can read more about the Eastern Thumb Legion on the second half page of the MHSAA website. Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to Novi's Giovanni Miles and Arian Verma, who each hit game-winning shots in the closing moments of boys' basketball wins last week over Bloomfield Hills and Northville. And Moira Joyner notched her second triple-double in three games in lifting defending Class A girls basketball champion Saginaw Heritage past unbeaten Heartland. You can watch all three of these games right now for free on MHSAA TV. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Our weekly Be the Referee feature takes a look at the fine art of officiating with Sam Davis. Let's test your knowledge of high school basketball rules with this You Make the Call. An offensive player stops dribbling on the end line immediately behind the backboard. Double team, the player throws the ball into the air. The ball travels over the backboard where a teammate flies down the lane to grab it and scores on a thunderous tomahawk jam. You make the call. Is this legal? The sides, the bottom, and the top of the backboard are always in play. Anything supporting the backboard like the brackets and wires, are always out of bounds. The ball can even travel behind the backboard at any time, even between wires and brackets, and still be in play if it doesn't touch anything. But the ball may never pass over the top of a rectangular backboard in either direction. This is a violation, and the ball is turned over to the other team. Thanks, Sam. You can be a referee. Go to the MHSAA website now to register. With college football's national championship on the horizon, it's interesting to listen to the verbiage flowing out of the different camps about the structure of that tournament and to draw parallels with the high school football playoffs here in Michigan. Of course, it all starts with those teams left behind and cries for expansion. It's as old as the playoffs themselves. Those folks should be careful of what they wish for. Expansion has only ever accomplished one thing at the high school level here in Michigan, more teams getting into the tournament. And that in and of itself can't be called achieving a solution because of all the other problems that have come with scheduling gamesmanship, league busting and the like coming to the fore and none of it went away with any level of expansion. Those kinds of things will only get worse if expansion happens with big time college football playoffs. At least in the college camp there are some people saying leave it alone. And while the sentiment for an all-in playoff here in Michigan has died down, there's still a desire to play with the math, which proponents say will improve the atmosphere. But history, in my view, teaches us otherwise. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSAA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us on Tuesday afternoon, winding down the day and getting you to the 5 o'clock hour. Don't forget Westwood Patriot basketball this evening. Jared Koski and myself will be live from Gladstone. We will have the play-by-play as the Westwood girls look to move to 6-0 heading in to Christmas and the Christmas break that goes with it. Although, they do have one game between Christmas and New Year's. That is home on Friday the 28th against Hancock. Ivan Roar, hope that you're with us tonight. We'll pregame at 7 o'clock. Tip-off is set for 7.15 Eastern, 6.15 Central. Tanner Hoops in studio with you once again. I mentioned before the break, turning to college football now. The University of Florida has been in talks with the University of Central Florida, the UCF Golden Knights, the self-proclaimed national champions from last season. Actually, one poll did list them as number one at the end of the season because they were the only unbeaten team left in college football. So they have a little bit of stake, a little bit, to say that they're the national champs from last season. They did not make the college football playoff last year, and they did not this year. Nonetheless, they've won 25 straight games and a conference championship. We can get into a whole debate about how we will never know how good mid-major teams really can be unless we expand to eight teams. While I want us to have expansion, I think it'd be better for football, I don't like the aspect that we reward teams for having an easy schedule like UCF does. You want to be in the college football playoff? Schedule somebody good. Schedule somebody good. That's why UCF doesn't have a claim to be one of the top four teams in college football this year. Eight-team playoff, while I'm in favor of it, I don't like how it would reward a team like UCF for scheduling cupcakes and still getting into the playoff because they're undefeated. However, with no timetable for expansion, with us being stuck with a 14 playoff in the near future, UCF is in talks about scheduling a game with Florida. Actually, two games. Not a home-and-home series. Two games in Gainesville. That's right, UCF doesn't get a play at home against Florida. They won't have that game in Orlando. Florida's terms for the agreement would be, we'll play you twice. We'll be a quality opponent on your schedule. Give you some credibility if you can go undefeated. But you have to come to the Swamp twice. We're not going down to Orlando and playing you at your place. Generally, when teams do this, it's a home and home. Once at your place, once at theirs. But the thing is, Florida doesn't have anything to gain by doing this. They win out, or at least go 11-1, and maybe 12-1, and win the SEC. They are going to get into the college football playoff. It doesn't benefit them to have UCF on the schedule, so why would they want to go down to Orlando and play? Make it harder on themselves. You're already playing in the SEC. UCF has no leverage. If they want this deal, they better, they better, unless there's any kind of expansion, they better say yes. If they want people to take them seriously, if they want the college football playoff committee to take them seriously, they need to agree to Florida's terms and conditions. Because UCF has no leverage. It doesn't benefit Florida at all. Florida will be just fine. Their college football playoff hopes will still be in their hands without UCF on their schedule. Not true for the Knights. 
they need to beef up their schedule. Florida would help. And Florida's saying we'll play it twice, but you've got to come to our place both times. And are they wrong for doing it? I don't think they are. I don't think they are. It's the smart move. So let me ask you, let me ask the listeners. If this goes down, let's speculate. Let's say UCF adds Florida to their schedule. They beat them. And they do what they did this season. They run the table, go 13-0, and and they win their conference. A group of five conference, a mid-major. But they have a win over the University of Florida on their schedule. Would that be enough to consider UCF a playoff team? My question for you is how many quality wins over quality opponents does UCF have to have before they can seriously be considered for the college football playoff? Let's say they play a Florida team that's very similar, comparable to this year's team. They were pretty good this season. Ranked 10th in the country. They had a little bit of a sputter toward the end of the year when they seriously could have made a push for the SEC and to try and get into the championship game. But pretty good under first-year head coach Dan Mullen. They finished ranked 10th in the country. If UCF had them on their schedule this year and they beat them, would that have been enough to put UCF in the top four? How many wins will it take? How many quality opponents do they have to beat for UCF to be considered a legit contender for the college football playoff, to prove that they are one of the best four teams, one of the most deserving teams in the country? How many wins does it take and over quality opponents? Just by adding Florida, is that enough? If I'm UCF, I am taking this deal with Florida. Even if it's not enough to get you into the playoff, it's a start. It's a step in the right direction, and it brings legitimacy to your program. It brings credibility. If you can get a win over a team like Florida, it proves that you are not just eating cupcakes. Their best win over this stretch has been Auburn. Could you imagine if they had Auburn in either of the regular season schedules this year or last year? There would have been a case to be made for UCF. There would have been reason to put them in the top four. They beat Auburn in the bowl game last year. If they had done that in the regular season, would that have been enough? Auburn last year, not Auburn this year. If I'm UCF, I take this deal. I know it's a raw deal. You have to go to Gainesville twice, but they owe you nothing. Florida Gators owe Central Florida nothing. They might pout about it, what have you, but you got to take this deal. You got to take this deal. If you really want people to think that you're a legitimate power, a legitimate program. You got to do it. Let's go to the ice. The Red Wings visit the Flyers. It will be the debut for interim Philadelphia coach Scott Gordon. Comes up from AAA Lehigh Valley. What a past couple of days for the Flyers. Sunday, the story broke that Joe Quenville was replacing Dave Haxtold. They come to find out that's not true because the Flyers said it wasn't. Then the next day, Dave Haxtell was in fact fired, but nothing about Coach Q. So Scott Gordon will take the Flyers onto the ice tonight. Detroit comes in with a record of 14-15-5, 7th place in the Atlantic Division. Philadelphia is 12-15-4, 8th place in the Metropolitan Division. It's a great tie-in to our stat of the day.
Philly is expected to debut a new goaltender tonight. Carter Hart is the expected starter against Jimmy Howard on the opposite side. When Hart makes his debut, which again we expect to be tonight, Philadelphia will become the second team in NHL history to have six different goalies play before Christmas in the same season. The only other time it's happened was in 2002, the 2002-2003 season. The St. Louis Blues did it. Six goalies all before Christmas. When Carter Hart takes the ice, which we're assuming will be tonight, Philadelphia will be just the second NHL team ever to play six different goalies in one season before Christmas. That's all the time we have. As always, hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Don't forget, tune in later tonight for Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball at Gladstone. Jared Kosky and myself will have the call. We'll get the pregame going right around 7 o'clock with tip-off set for 7.15. Hope to have you with us. As always, if you missed any of today's show, you can hear the whole thing on demand with our free mobile app. Be sure to get it from the Apple iStore and Google Play. That's it for us once again. We turn you over to Will Kane. He'll take great care of you. Tanner Hoops with you on the Sports Pen signing off from ESPN-UP-WZAM-Ishpeming Marquette.